0: Hey everyone, this is Justin. If you're a fan of the show, you can help keep it on the air ad-free by becoming a supporter at our Patreon page. You can find it on our website at thisishappeningamerica.com. Thanks for listening. Not in service at this time. Urban explorers are perhaps the closest thing we have to the archaeologists of old. And there's a rich network of them all over the world. While studying city planning in the 1990s, Dietmar Arnold took a fateful trip to Paris that would change his life. While there, he connected with a group of students who were exploring the catacombs and underground structures of the city. Returning to Berlin, Dietmar decided to see what was under his own city, and the idea for Dark Worlds, Bunkers, Tunnels, and Catacombs below Berlin was born. Incorporated in 1997, Berliner Unterwelten now boasts some 500 members. In 2001, the association started running their first tours through a former air raid shelter in Gesundbrunn's subway station, which is where I found myself on April 21st, earlier this year. People are going about their day passing by a rather innocuous green door but behind it lurks an underground of absolute wonder. Berlin Unterwelten has been excavating old bunker sites that have survived the city's transformations and reconstructions and wars. And What I'm about to see is left me with a giddy excitement the historian in me is brimming with Ideas of what I'm about to see and experience. Our tour guide, Sarah Bolin, leads us down the stairs from the subway platform and through the green door. It's a dark, tight space. Our tour guide, Sarah, says, in the event that this all crumbles down on top of us, we're all going to die together. And that is rather... Like most government programs, bunkers, air raid shelters, duck and cover, the underground that we're in was built as an air raid shelter, and if you don't know the difference between a bunker and an air raid shelter, like myself, Sarah Arts just explained that an air raid shelter will in fact not protect you from a bomb, but it sure makes people feel better.
1: makes it clear that this place was never built for being a bunk because it has a strange shape, right? Mm-hmm. If you We're standing
0: a in a strange space. Culture, it's a long rectangular square, room and so high. it comes to points this on either the end.
1: Shape of the subway tracks. You have to imagine down there is one track, down there another one, and they get together there at the end of the room and then arrive to the platform. Uh, just a curiosity for you, a bump of bunkers don't exist anymore nowadays because technology has gone too far. Uh, one example, Iraq, 1991. The U.S. Army launches two rockets in the name of democracy onto a bunker in Baghdad, destroying everything and killing more than 400 civilians. So nowadays, there is no hope anymore for us.
0: There is no hope. That is a sobering thought. The Gesundbrunnen shelter truly is a dark world. It would be easy to get lost in the labyrinth of connecting chambers. The tour continues into another room where our guides turn out the lights.
1: It has no electricity generator, so it's dependent on Berlin's electricity, and blackouts were quite frequent during, during this area. If Berlin had a power cut, then this place would fall into total darkness because it's underground with no windows. And imagine thousands of people here trying to find the exit in the darkness. Authorities wanted to avoid panic and accidents, so they found a the solution. You see? It's a special thing. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's a glow-in-the-dark paint and it's not radioactive. Don't worry, our insurance wouldn't allow us to do tours otherwise. Uh, Even
0: though this shelter provided no practical protection if a bomb fell on it it would have crumbled. It's ingenious the walls have this copper zinc paint that that our tour guide was just able to capture someone's shadow with a flashlight (laughs) (laughs) because the paint (laughs) absorbs and and reflects light. That's just brilliant.
1: Wait, turn your, yeah, like this. Wait, raise your hand like
0: this. Now, Just imagine wounded, scared children descending these stairs, cramped hallways, trains running on either side of them behind the walls, bombs falling above. I'm in a room that is dedicated to the propaganda and merchandising of war. An air raid sign that identifies the symbols of the enemy on the tail fins of planes, to remind people that they were constantly surrounded by the enemy. And to look up and see which enemy was moving its way towards you. All around us in this room, there's a perverted populism that's represented through propaganda and board games targeted at conditioning the minds of Germany's youth during World War II. This whole experience is dedicated to the past, but as I stand at this display, I can't help but think that it's commenting on current events rather than World War II. Um,
1: The first years of the war haven't been so bad for Berlin, but after 1943, the Allies started the aerial battle on Berlin, with the strategy of the moral bombing, which meant no targets anymore, we just bombed the civilians for tiring them out. The Nazis had been the first ones who bombed London, and then the bombings came back to the civilians. From that moment, the Americans started to bomb Berlin during the day, and the British during the night. So at least twice a day.
0: Berlin hides its scars well. Today, it is a posh metropolitan center, whose architecture incorporates the best elements of mid-century and modern minimalism. But in 1944, 80% of the city laid in rubble and ruin.
1: And Berlin was covered by 70 million cubic meter rubble, which corresponds to twice the circumference of the Earth. This is Berlin is so new now, they have to rebuild everything. And who do you think could do that? Who was still here for rebuilding the city? Yeah, women. The population of women outnumbered the population of men by 7 million in whole Germany after the war. So women became Trummerfrauen, rubble women. And we have some pictures there. You see women clearing the streets from the rubble and then they also had to clean the stones in order to understand if those stones could be recycled and used as material for new buildings. Women did a great job because after three months Berliners could use the telephone and the subway already and not all this rubble could be recycled. It was too much. So useless rubble was uh, accumulated for creating rubble mountains. And Berlin is really flat. So if you see a hill or a mountain, it's probably artificial, it's rubble. And in this showcase, we collected some recycled items. You see that uh, here they started to use uh, helmets as or uh, These uh, are lighters made out of bullets. And there they even turned a bomb into another. You have to be really brave for doing that or stupid, I
0: into the point of view. but... We're standing in front of a bombshell potbelly stove. That's recycling. <laughs> Most history textbooks never really get into depth about the Battle of Berlin. They mention something cryptic about how the Russian army occupied the city. It's an attempt to dehumanize the German people, and also minimalize one of the bloodiest battles of World War II. The Battle of Berlin was fought by the people's army, and it was costly. The
1: Battle of Berlin is a sack of of 30,000 soldiers, and the problem was how to identify these soldiers. Because what was left of them were bones, limbs, their belongings, and the You round you another there, corner in this labyrinth and enter a room filled with display cases what was left of the containing
0: soldiers lighters, and coins, the
1: soldiers belongings became important rifles that, that look like
0: they're made for children. Because
1: for example, you could have a look at the and coins Sarah,
0: coins, our and tour guide, reminds us that they were.
1: Or maybe mm, you found a dog tag with the name and the address written on it. German soldiers had dog tags, but it was harder to identify Russian soldiers because Stalin wanted to hide the number of these soldiers that died in this battle, so he gave them paper documents that got easily destroyed or even smoked. When the soldiers finished their cigarettes, they smoked their identity card. Mm -hmm. And here, the the items here below, we can understand that they belong to a teenager, because you see that the weapon is really small. On the contrary, the items um, uh, below here belong to an older man, because his helmet is a First World War helmet, so this man probably fought two wars. And we know his name, Petrushke, because he, he, he wrote it into his lunchbox. And these, uh, these items belong to um, soldiers of the People's Army. The People's Army fought, fought the Battle of Berlin against the Red Army and was composed by, yes, teenagers and older men, because who was left here for fighting? So you have to imagine a 15-year-old boy, he had no idea of how to use a weapon. He was sent by bicycle for destroying a tank. He was given a a weapon that is called Panzerfaust, maybe you know it. Panzer means tank and faust means fist. And this weapon is a hand rocket launcher which is designed to shoot just once. So they had one chance to destroy a tank. It meant committing suicide.
0: And just like that, my perception of World War II and the people who fought it is forever changed. The tour lingers in this room so that we can get a closer look at the objects in the cases, and I get a moment with Sarah. I ask her why she does this, and what it all means to her.
1: Yeah, our world is not uh, as peaceful as it should be and the second war uh, sounds something far away to us but uh, it's not, <laughs> it's not uh, if you think of uh, what is happening in the whole world. So I hope that showing people what what happened and, and making it feel real, I hope that, I don't know, people will start thinking of it. I'm, I like it when I see the faces and exp- expressions of my visitors and I understand that they can really feel what I'm talking about, or feel the experience, and this is probably what I like the most about
0: uh, this tour of my club. As the group finishes with their viewing of the displays, Sarah motions that we have to continue the tour. But before we go, I ask her what lessons she thinks this dark world holds for us in the 21st century
1: well, uh, who built bunkers is preparing a war, this is what he said, so, uh, yes, and maybe with these tours people could start to understand, and I always find uh, interesting websites um, uh, that tell people, oh, we should start building our bunkers, preparing our shelters for the future, well, these people probably don't know a clue, don't uh, have a clue about history and what what would happen for real, so, yes, who builds bunker
0: is preparing our world. Once again, I have that feeling that this tour of the past is actually a commentary on the present, and Sarah is talking less about bunkers than walls. At the end of the tour, we climb a small staircase, out a door, and magically back into a busy metropolitan subway station. Unbelievable. If you're in Berlin, check out Berliner Unterwelten. You won't regret it. This year, Berliner Unterwelten celebrates 20 years of operations. On June 17th, they'll celebrate Nights of the Underworld, where they will open all five of their tours to the public, free of charge. Special thanks to Sarah Bolinini, my guide on this trip, and Holger Hoppel for facilitating my tour. Thanks for listening. You can find past episodes of the show on iTunes and Google Play. Our website is thisishappeningamerica.com. There you can find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts, as well as a link to our Patreon page where you can become a subscriber. I'm Justin Marr for This is Happening America. Thanks for listening. Bangarang. <laughs>